The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 50. The Ascension. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I suggest Professor Plum did it in the library with the lead piping. Do you remember playing Cluedo, asking questions to find out who, where, how the murder was committed? Perhaps you have graduated to more complex crime dramas with sometimes unfathomable twists and turns, less of a whodunit and more of a why-done-it. It is all, with all this in mind and these questions in mind that we turn to today's very short passage. Few words, but so many questions. At the first read-through, I realised that these few verses had previously gone almost unnoticed by me before in my haste to move on to the book of Acts. In fact, Jesus' birth, death and ascension are all marked by their brevity in the Bible. Think back to Christmas. In one sentence, Mary brought forth her firstborn son and laid him in a manger because there was no room at the inn. That's it. No song and dance. The God of the whole universe comes to earth in one short sentence. Then at Easter, when we get to the crucifixion, there are no details. Again, just one short sentence. And they crucified him between two thieves. Now, here we are at Jesus' ascension, and again, we have just one sentence. And he was taken up into heaven. We'll come back to the why in a few minutes, but I would like to briefly look at some of the other questions that came to mind. Perhaps you may consider them far too obvious, so please bear with me. My first question was, I thought Jesus ascended in Acts. These two accounts are slightly different. What's going on? Second question, why did he leave when he was still blessing the disciples? Seems a bit rude after all. Third question, why were the disciples so happy that Jesus had just left? My fourth question, why did Jesus ascend rather than disappearing as he had done so many times before? And finally, my fifth question, why does that all matter to us today? We also have to remember about what was obvious to original readers that we don't understand now, whether culturally or because we are reading in a different language, and some, some things are lost in translation. So let's go back to my first question, the account that we have just read and also the story in Acts, which I'm going to remind us of now. So on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift from my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he said this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why, are you st- why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the simplest question to deal with. Both these accounts are indeed referring to the same event. Our reading today gives the bare bones, but in Acts, Luke gives us more details. Piecing the two accounts together, Jesus spent quite a bit of time in Bethany during his lifetime. After all, it was the home of Lazarus, Martha and Mary and is situated in the Mount of Olives region. So Luke is talking about the same place as he does in Acts 1, verse 12. So Jesus led them out onto the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And the apostles want to know if now is the time that Jesus is going to restore Israel to its right place. But he explains that only God will know what will happen, so they just must wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he spreads his arms and blesses his followers. While he is blessing them, he's taken to heaven. Understandably, the disciples were speechless. They were just in awe. So God sent two angels to refocus their minds from the clouds back down to earth. They bowed down in worship to the risen Jesus and returned to Jerusalem to await the Holy Spirit. So question two, why did he leave when he was still blessing the disciples? For this, we need to back up a little bit to imagine the conversation. Over the past 40 days, Jesus had finished many things. He talked with his disciples about the kingdom of God. He'd answered their myriad of questions, opening their minds to understand scriptures. And he addressed Thomas's doubts and fears. He'd forgiven and restored Peter. But what about his mother, Mary? No longer weeping for her murdered son, but comforted by seeing Jesus alive and well. Now she will be able to sing her Magnificat again with heartfelt joy. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Now on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, Jesus can finally say, in my interpretation of very modern Aramaic, Well guys, my mission here is complete. I've taught you everything you need to know. You've watched and you've followed me. I've died for you. I've risen for you. And now I'm back off to my father's house. I'm leaving you in good hands. When Jesus talks about leaving, Peter, James and John would remember their trip up the mountain to pray with Jesus that we saw in Luke 9. There Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. At that time, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking about his departure or leaving. And the word that we don't know in our English translation but was used there was the word exodus, one that we are all too familiar with. Moses led the people out of Egypt, liberating them from the bondage of slavery. Now this is Jesus' exodus, where he leads his people out of the bondage of sin. So the disciples were not totally unprepared for Jesus' final departure. There he stood with his hands raised in blessing. It was customary for someone of stature and importance not to simply walk out the door and wander away as we would today, 
rather they would extend a blessing on those under their care. And perhaps this is reminiscent of Aaron's blessing back in Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It must have filled their hearts with joy that their final view of Jesus was of him blessing them. But why was he taken while he was still talking? I think the answer is that it was to show that Jesus doesn't stop blessing us. He keeps on blessing us even after he has disappeared from sight. Imagine that he is blessing us now as we're sitting here. So on to my third question. Why were the disciples so happy that Jesus had just left? How in the world could they be so happy? I think the main reason is that all the pieces finally fell into place. They finally, once and for all, could see and understand the whole story. They understood what Jesus was about, his mission, his message, and why everything had to happen the way it did. They understood what God had done in sending the Messiah to die, to be buried and to be raised again, and now to be ascended on high. They believed and it gave them great joy. Jesus' departure fulfilled what he had explained to them, that God was sending him to do, what he had explained that God was sending him to do in the world. And it's quite extraordinary. Now, do you remember how the Gospel of Luke began? It began in a temple, and now it ends in a temple with the disciples continually blessing God. What, what, Jesus, what Luke told us at the beginning of the Gospel was a series of godly people crying out to God in song and prayer that he would send his salvation upon his people. Perhaps you remember Zacharias and Elizabeth, John's parents. How about Simeon and Anna? What about Mary's song? We've looked at all of these through our whole life, whole Bible series. And Luke records all those things and songs of the angels in the temple at the beginning of his gospel as people cry out to God to send salvation. And this is what Luke has recorded in the next 24 chapters, the salvation that God has sent in Jesus. So then at the end of the gospel, you find the disciples going back to Jerusalem from the place of the Mount of Olives and blessing God and praising and worshipping Jesus. To my fourth question, why did Jesus ascend rather than disappearing as he'd done so many times before? I have to say this departure is certainly spectacular. Over the last 40 days, he has simply appeared and disappeared with apparently no rhyme or reason. But now he gathers the friends around him to say goodbye properly. If he had just disappeared, there would be no finality. Everybody would have been wondering if he were coming back again. He was here last week. Do you think he's coming back tomorrow? Next week? Maybe a fortnight? Who knows? Instead, he leaves them decisively and properly, passing on the baton of proclaiming the kingdom of God and the good news of repentance and faith. And the disciples can now concentrate on being obedient to what Jesus told them to do. I can't tell you what happened at the Ascension. The disciples wouldn't have had the questions that we might have today. Has Jesus gone into space? What about the oxygen levels? What about the lack of pressure? Where is heaven? I think it's safe to say that Jesus is not the first space traveller. 
Rather, he's perhaps closer to how C.S. Lewis imagines things to be, that the sun is being withdrawn through a fold in space. After all, we exist in three dimensions, but perhaps there is a fourth dimension, and Jesus passes through the fold from time into eternity, rather like an actor exits stage left between the two side curtains, or even how Lucy disappears through the wardrobe in Narnia. So all this leads me to my final question. Why does all of this matter to us today? When Jesus ascended to heaven, Ephesians tells us that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. In other words, Jesus is established as the reigning king over all powers in all ages. Astonishingly, God also sits sits us with Jesus in the same heavenly realms. That's quite hard to get our heads round, really, and something to look forward to. Indeed, Revelation 21 gives us a glimpse into what heaven will be like for us. A new heaven and a new earth. No more crying, no more sorrow. But you'll have to reread it yourselves as we don't have time today. But what about the here and now? Jesus' ascension means that we now have access to God's throne for mercy and grace whenever and wherever we need it. We see this in Hebrews 4 verse 16. This is because Jesus is also always interceding with God on our behalf. See Romans chapter 8, verse 3. We can know for sure that our prayers are being heard and answered because Jesus himself is bringing them to God. Isn't that amazing that Jesus is bringing our prayers right now to God our Father? But there's more. If Jesus had stayed on earth, he wouldn't have been there simultaneously for Peter in Rome or John on the island of Patmos. Instead, Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit, who is not limited by time or space, but can live within each one of us simultaneously, empowering us to live our lives as Jesus intended. He does this through a variety of ways, whether quietly whispering in our ear to go talk to somebody or convicting us of something that we are about to do, or even that we have done. There are also the spiritual gifts that he shares with us, whether healing, or preaching, or even welcoming strangers. So how do we respond? Well, we've only got to do two things. Firstly, we too need to worship and praise Jesus for all that he has done for us, and all that he will do for us. And secondly, As Tom said last week, we need to follow the one command that we have been given, to share the good news with others around us, and in so doing, make more disciple-making disciples for Jesus. Let us pray.